Right, hello and welcome back to the Football Index podcast. Bit of a bit of a special or strange one. We're in a pub, pubcast, joined by Soccer Index. It's a bit weird calling you Soccer Index to your face though. <laughs> Come with James, you are. <laughs> James. <laughs> Cheers for coming back on, mate. Cheers for meeting me in this uh, kind of nearly a romantic setting. Here. It is. Dim lighting. Yeah, yeah. we're missing the England game for this, which is, uh, which is a bit sad, but as you do. Uh, tell us a bit about yourself. Yeah, so uh, joined, in the, joined the index uh, end of 2017. Um, as I kind of explained last time I was on, no betting background at all. Um, and I just saw some tube ads and thought, this looks pretty cool. cool. Um, I got quite a background in FPL, like once maybe came top 1,000 in the world. <laughs> I was like, I can give this a go. And uh, yeah, they had a quite a few. I kind of went big after a few months after when they did a deposit bonus. And yeah, we had the Euros after that. And, no, we had the World Cup, of course, after that. And then after that, it kind of, I really found like a, a lot of enjoyment with the product, um, and yeah, here we are now. It's just been crazy the last last few years. It is. It's been a bit. It's been a bit crazy since you uh, last came on. And uh, another guest that we're joined by, Nick Morris, former FI employee. You're never going to shake that tag, are you? No, I think I was gonna, people are going to remi- remember me as that for the rest of the time, really. <laughs> How's everything going? Very well, thanks, mate. How are you? Yeah, not too bad. Not too bad. It's. Uh, it's been a funny, funny week now with these IPOs, hasn't it? I, I, I definitely think that's going to be a talking point throughout. I mean, yeah, it looks that way, doesn't it? I mean, it uh, doesn't seem like there's any way of really appeasing everyone, but I think they've been trying, and that's free as all they, all they can do. <laughs> and uh, when did you leave FI, and like, when did you? When was it okay for you to start trading? That's a good question. Um, so I left Football Index. Where are we now? 2019. I left in uh, October 2016. So since then, I've basically been a trader. Previously to that, I was also trading. That was kind of how I actually came across the role in the first place. Um, on Twitter, there was a job ad posted by Kieran when I was looking for Twitter accounts, which were at that time few and far between, which is obviously a far cry from nowadays. <laughs> nice, nice. And um, well, we've got some miscellaneous questions to start off with. Nick from the, the forum, how, how much was a pint? You bought uh, so, <laughs> okay, I bought... I bought two pints and a soda water. I won't tell you who the soda water was and who, <laughs> who had the pints. You can guess it out. The pints were £10.50, I think, which is London prices. Not, not cheap then, not cheap. Um, uh, I, I, yeah, we won't reveal who the soda water was. Um, Phil, Phil Tyra, who did the, the World Cup thing. I don't know if either of you boys were in the uh, I wasn't in, didn't I make the cut. Phil, uh, slide into my DMs and explain to me why we weren't in that one then, mate. I did it, what did he say? No, I said he should slide into it and explain why we weren't in it. Um, Congratulations, though. Oh, yeah, thank you. Keep, did you win, did you? Yeah, because <laughs> I wasn't in it, I just yeah. didn't even keep track of it. I'm like, it doesn't even matter. It's yeah, yeah, yeah. So, PV Man beat me in the group stages and then I beat him in the finals. So there you go, like, mate. We're yeah. in the presence of FI royalty. Oh, uh, well, your word's not mine. Uh, he says, uh, what's his take on the Football Index Twitter police getting early access to the to the fatty IPO. Oh, yeah, I mean, if, if the FITP want to send an invite out my way, then obviously like I'd, I'd like to get involved with them as well. But as far as I've been concerned, I've been left out in the cold so far. And we're still waiting, aren't we? Uh, I think that question was probably being asked, expecting it to have been answered by now. But when do IPOs end this week? Is it, is it 
everyone, everything happening by Friday? So is it, we're Thursday now, Thursday evening, so is it gonna happen tomorrow or? I mean, I don't know. I, it, I should probably know this. Pat, <laughs> Mr. FI, Pat, do you know when they when the IPOs are supposed to end? I think they are supposed to end this week. I'm sure they are. It must be tomorrow. It's supposed to be a week batch every month, right? I mean, there, there, also, aren't, like there also aren't very many left, right? No. Yeah, well, so maybe saving best for last. It was supposed to be there? a list of 100. I, I mean, to be honest, I haven't really kept track of it, so I'm not sure who's, who's kind of come and who hasn't. Um, but yeah, it, it has changed a lot as well though because like there was like we're going to start them on November 1st for like every week and then it's changed to we're going to do a week's worth from this week in November every month or whatever like it's it's changed a lot which has been I guess a bit a bit weird from FI standpoint but. I think there's there's various problems as well that they've kind of come to and on, on an ad hoc basis they've kind of decided oh actually we're going to postpone it because of issues and I'm like well it's I mean, there's obviously two sides to the coin, but at the same time, I kind of think, well, if there's an issue and obviously FI are aware of it when, the, when their IPOs come out, it probably is the right thing to do to pause it. I'm not saying that they shouldn't have known in beforehand what the issues were and kind of dealt with them as and when, but I mean, you know, hindsight's obviously a wonderful thing. But um, I think that with NASDAQ and with order books and all of that, I think that'll take care of it. And to be honest with you, you wouldn't expect too many more IPOs throughout the rest of the season, right? Except for maybe a couple of youngsters if they spring onto the scene because the newly promoted teams have, they've had the majority of them added already, right? So, I mean, I think actually once they're, once we see the, the kind of the backside of that lot, I think actually it'll be more beneficial to the market because I think that you've seen performance buzz players dropping this week, you know, which are completely unjustified given how recent the dividend increase was, etc. And and yeah, I think that it, they've suffered as a result of people holding money back for IPOs potentially. So hopefully we'll kind of, we'll see that turn uh, as of tomorrow or whenever it is the IPOs end. We were discussing actually before we got started on the pod soccer that that dividend increase maybe in part was actually forced by how far the IPOs were delayed because we were getting to a point where um, dividends as a percentage of a you know a return were actually diminishing and diminishing. It was still good in my opinion anyway, and obviously this is subjective. But the amount of IPOs that had to be added to the platform, and I think there was someone like uh, Buzzing Paul said to me that he sent them a list of a thousand. So if there's that many like potential ones, right? Maybe FI were looking at this and being like, well, if we have to add a thousand or so players between now and say the Euros, then those dividends are going to look even worse from a probability standpoint. So maybe it did actually force that. Yeah, and they had to maybe give existing players more value because yeah, it, it was any any youngster was just flying, so they almost had to increase. Well, it probably got the hand force, as you say, to increase the dividends to give those existing platform more stability. Um, and with that, they can now there's less of a need to kind of jump on all these IPOs because the current market itself is way undervalued compared to what the dividends are now. Yeah, it could have been problematic had they just fired straight in and not increased. Uh, we've got one from uh, FI Headhunter here. How much do you think Fatty Watch has cost the UK economy in, in lost productivity with traders glued to the ticker and doing no work? I think we've said between between us that we've not we've actually decided to do work this week. <laughs> <laughs> Unfortunately. Um, so yeah, I've, I've said quite, quite good. I kind of just said like, I've had money in my account in case I am on the I am on my on the app when like Fatty comes on say 
um, and I, I'm, I'm ready ready to pounce but like I'm not like monitoring it 24-7 and I'm not I'm still getting good good night's sleep and uh, yeah I don't know have you, have you you been uh, on Fatty Watch at all? No I mean to be honest I've kind of done the same thing you know, when I've been there or thereabouts I've like turned the app on had a little look when I see because I thought you know before when players were added that the whole screen used to flash green yeah. but yeah. nowadays there's so much trading that the gr the screen is always flashing green anyway yeah. um, but yeah I mean in terms of overall this week I've kind of stayed up a little bit to kind of watch a few but I mean you just, there's no time is there I mean you either stay up and you know we were talking about it yesterday amongst ourselves how if you kind of if you were to stay up and actually spend the, this entire week actually kind of waiting for the IPOs I mean how much would you have had to have earned to have earned minimum wage in that time and then when you kind of you know we talk about opportunity costs with FI a lot but the opportunity cost there is potentially massive aka losing your job and also something that you just can't get back time right exactly. <laughs> I mean yeah I was sort of saying it's the equivalent of you know there's people in the streets who are like just hold a sign for a day yeah. and me asking you to do that for what 24 hours straight It'll be worth it, I guess, for some people. Like for some people, if they make five hundred pound in in a week, like that's to them, like that's like really important. But like, yeah, I just I want my night's sleep, basically. Yeah, so, yeah. I, I guess the thing is, though, everyone goes. I, I'm trying to think of it on the flip side. A lot of people might go into it and say, I could actually probably do a five grand week here if I if I do really well, or like make two or three grand compared to a portfolio that I have, which is worth like I don't know how many thousands or hundreds, like that could be substantial to someone from like an FI standpoint um, but even like as a just general money standpoint but I guess yeah for me like I just physically couldn't do it like even if I wanted to around my job and like all the fig stuff that we that I do like obviously we're in a pub now on a Thursday evening not watching England that's the opportunity cost <laughs> um, so exactly um, so it's it's I think you know we'll get into it later about the IPO process and like maybe how broken it is but it's it was a bit I don't think FI really judged it well with the whole like uh, gambling week uh, or uh, responsible gambling week and the IPOs being released at the same time and maybe not the IPOs in themselves but in the way that they've been kind of like viewed by traders I guess um, Der Kaiser which I think is your friend isn't it James Soccer um, do you spend more time on your portfolio or doing your hair? <laughs> I don't know if it's a, yeah, coming from a, a guy who's not got much hair at all on his head. <laughs> I don't know if that's a slide dig or a little yeah. compliment. Um, but of course, it's portfolio. I mean, I do look at my phone quite a bit with uh, with the FI app, and I, you kind of are thinking about your portfolio like all the time. It's hard, it's hard kind of not to like bounce ideas off people. Think, oh, should I sell this guy? Should I buy more of this guy? Yeah, and I don't spend that much time in the hair, honestly. <laughs> it's, not, it's not that, not that impressive. Um, uh, football MDJ Mel, uh, genuine question. What is a bulls to the wall trader? Because I'm Nick, I think I described you as this in a little bio I gave when the guest announcement. This is probably more of a question for you because I saw it and I was kind of like, what does that mean? But I mean, I think, I, go on, you tell me. You tell me. I, I was like, okay, what kind of context can I give to describe what kind of traders these guys are, right? Because predominantly we want questions about trading styles and techniques and how people, you know, your experiences can help people listening. But I guess also about FI as a product and as a business. That's the kind of like three-pronged approach for this podcast. And I guess to describe you, I was like, I think it was at the turn of 
kind of like when KDB flew, I remember you just going like super aggressive on a load of players and having like the uttermost confidence that they would pay off. And that's, that is kind of, I mean, I, you are right. I've never kind of heard of it or heard it kind of phrased that way, but I do agree with you. I mean, I don't own a portfolio full of large players, uh, full of a lot of players, and I never have. I kind of find that I, like James, kind of check my portfolio regularly throughout the day and I find that I'm able to kind of track generally what the sentiment is towards a player by seeing their price throughout a day and being able to scan through my players and say okay this player is you know x y and z at this price looking on later on in a couple of hours and from there on you can get I know it sounds very wishy-washy but you can get a good idea of generally which way the market's moving whereas if you had 50 100 200 players you know you might log in, see you've lost a significant amount of money or made a significant amount of money, but then actually not be able to retrace it. Now, I understand that it comes with the territory of kind of having various different portfolio sizes. But for me personally, I found that, especially in the market now, the most profitable route personally is, is to do that and kind of really believe in certain players who, you know what, it's not even that I believe in players necessarily, it's that I think the market will believe in them. And I think that that's quite key and has always been key with FI in that, you're not necessarily trading on who you think is going to fly up, but who everyone else is, because that's a mistake which I think is, can be quite easily made. Yeah, it certainly is. And I think you said that on the last podcast, didn't you? I think um, you don't bet on what you think is value. You bet on what other you think other people think is value, which is uh, an interesting mindset to have. It's a super hard one to approach with because like, you look at a player and your, your brain instantly analyzes like what they are to you, right? You don't first and foremost think well what does James think about this player and what does Nick think about this player and I think this is why people create group chats and stuff to talk about players but essentially like you have to think about what the biggest wave of people are going to think because that's the way the market is going to move um, which is obviously a very very hard thing to do but you boys have, have clearly done it quite well um, we've got another question here from you you can analyze too much uh, given that Facebook are banning the aubergine emoji do you think that this will have an impact on how you celebrate your success, successful FI trades? Well, it's not banned on Twitter yet, is it? <laughs> so, <laughs> so no, we just crack on with the aubergines, make hay whilst the sun shines. <laughs> Until Twitter clapped down, I think we're all, all right. <laughs> I didn't know that though. Facebook is it's, it's, in, it's Instagram, isn't it? They're like, they're they basically using the, the use of the aubergine and the peach if it's like sexual connotation. They're trying to cut down on I don't, know, I don't really know exactly what it is, but well, I think basically people using it in like a prostitution sense. And I think that if you use it, and I think it's not, they're not banning the emojis outright. They're banning them when they're using the sexual context. So if you, if like, you know, if, if a bloke posts a picture of him in Speedos, like I'd imagine RC probably would do on his Instagram, <laughs> then they would, with an aubergine, then they'd probably ban him, which probably be a good thing for the rest of us. Yeah, yeah, that, that, that makes sense. That seems sensible. You got mums and dads on a uh, Facebook, yeah. Maybe it was uh, a few nightmares when they'd uh, <laughs> seen it on the, their posts, but yeah, we're still good on Twitter and WhatsApp. Yeah, I think Twitter's pretty like Twitter are one of those companies that try and allow as much as like physically possible. Like, so you know, as long as it's not like I guess hate speech or like actually something illegal or like terrorism, they're, they're kind of mostly okay with it. Long live the aubergine. Yeah, long live the aubergine. Um, all right, well, before we get into some serious questions, uh, J- 
just wanted to read a review that was recently put out on uh, on on the old Apple iTunes. Uh, Dunloppy, interesting name, which was done recently. Great way to understand the index has helped me develop new strategies and go from strength to strength on my trading journey, which is uh, good to hear. And if you guys haven't left a review so far, please do so on iTunes. It takes like 30 seconds. There's nearly 200 so far, but let's get to that uh, checkpoint. And also, if you guys want to hear some football content, my other podcast, The State of Play, has restarted about four or five episodes in. That's where we talk about European football, the top five leagues, and also a bit of the MLS. So check that out. Just type in State of Play on the uh, app you're using right now. And speaking of reviews, obviously, if you guys haven't left FI review on the App Store, on Trustpilot, or on Google, do that. It will help them a bunch, and uh, it will help us as a, as a platform and as a community. But let's get into the, the, the most dense and thickest subject, I think, today, uh, IPOs, because that's been at the tip of everyone's lips this week um alex field how healthy do you guys think it is for a trader to be sat in front of their computer screen like a hawk for 10 to 20 hours a day for two three four days waiting to pounce on a new player has to be a healthier way to introduce players cheers and then index profit hunter says thoughts on the current ipo timing schedule should fi take more responsibility for traders staying up all night in case an ipo appears or does the fault lie with those traders who decide to do so yeah, it's, it's obviously not, not healthy at all. I think, yeah, we've talked about it this coinciding with Gambling Awareness Week. Well, it's just probably just as well it isn't on Mental Health Awareness Week. Um, but yeah, it's not, it's not uh, healthy at all, uh, really, to be what... Um, you hear people, we've seen on Twitter, a few people literally doing like a 24-hour shift and like the, those gifts of, of uh, people falling, nearly falling asleep at a desk. Um, but yeah, just in general with the IPO process, like it's not ideal. Like we we know that like order books are coming, and I I think they know that a, a new process has to come in place. But they equally know there's a lot of players, especially the promoted clubs, that just have to come out, and so they can't like rush a new process. So they've basically got to do the best they can with the existing process, and giving time frames would just making a market crash. And I actually quite like the idea of it just like happening overnight, like it's not going to crash. So from my perspective, because I'm like, I'm not like that active during the day. From IPOs, I basically want my existing portfolio to be not harmed too much by it. And I just want people not complaining on the timeline on Twitter. <laughs> so like the less kind of like controversy, I can kind of take if like Perlo's, uh, Perlo's falling asleep and not getting much sleep. like. If, that, if that's all it is, then I'm happy with that. But like, yeah, I just think we've like, just get it get it done and then we can kind of move on. And I think that's what they kind of wanted with this week. They just wanted it done. No no hiccups, no, no complaining. Once it's done, we can kind of continue business as usual. And like, yeah, if people want to get no sleep, then fair enough. Like some, as we kind of said, like that, that money might be more important to, and that time might be more important to some than others. Yeah, I, I couldn't agree more. Like, you've hit the nail on the head. I think that, as you said, they're making the best out of a bad situation. They have to IPO these players before NASDAQ comes in and before order books and potentially a better system exists. And the fact is that nobody is ever going to be, or not everyone is going to be appeased by whatever decision they make and whichever way they decide to go about it. But at the same time, I think that you're, the majority of people will probably view it as fair if you're like doing what they do now, which is obviously kind of just releasing them as and when in a weekly period rather than as you alluded to 
previously, um, them kind of putting them on a timeline, which was crashing them. Also, I think the fact that these players, these youth players are flying, like are kind of being put on at quite a high price as well as a lot of the other players is having the effect of not harming people's portfolios, which I think is important in the, in the kind of long run. So, yeah, I mean, you're never going to appease everyone, but I think as far as they can do a good job with it, I think they have. Yeah, I think it's, it's, it's an interesting issue, isn't it? I think the more people are in a market, the more people there are willing to um, kind of go before you. And what I mean by that is, when we saw FI like a year ago, two years ago, you'd see crashes of like 20% and people were kind of hesitant to buy. We were speaking uh, before we started recording, James, that we've seen players like Sensi go from, I don't know, like £3.5 to like 2 90 like Gnabry from like about the same price to like 2 95 And as soon as people see those dips these days, they pile on because those players are like back at rebounded at those prices that they were before. And what I mean by that is like there's always willing someone willing to make 1% less or like 0.5% less. And I think we've seen that at like a massive kind of um, in, a, in a massive way with these IPOs where like someone's willing to invest eight hours of their time to make like X amount of money. Someone else is like, okay, well, I'm going to make, you know, I'm going to do nine hours or 10 hours. And, and that's because there's so many users now that's going to happen and i think it's only normal in the kind of circumstance that fi have created and i think they have created the circumstance where the best viable option for them right now is to ipo at like a random time because they don't want too much action on the trade so that it doesn't break this break the system they don't want people to complain about it being unfair it's going to create that scenario because there are so many people on the index. There are people that are, you know, working night shifts. There are people that are self-employed. There are people that are unemployed. There's just so many different people that are going to be willing to take the extra step compared to their fellow trader to like make that money. And whether or not that's right is like a, dif a different conversation. I think that's kind of like where we are and where we stand. And now I think does the fault lie with the trader I mean, this is the situation that's been put in front of them. This is the game that's been put in front of them by FI, and traders have d decided to do so. I don't think the fault lies with anyone. I think it's kind of like circumstantial. It's a combination of like the situation that we're in, the amount of traders that are on the platform, and the amount of different people that are on the platform, or different types of people rather, that has created this situation. And there has to be a, a healthier way to introduce this uh, IPO uh, players uh, via IPO. I think Mike alluded to it on the, the podcast he did with me, where he said, you know, we've seen three or four different ways that they can do it and they seem very excited. But at the same time, they can't wait for someone to just hand, uh, hold their hands and, and through this IPO process. So it's a bit of a, um, you know, rock in a hard place situation that they can't, really stand still but they can't move full throttle if you were, as you were kind of explaining it. Yeah. yeah you're right I mean there isn't really a right answer here I think that they probably hashed it out significantly you know internally to try and work out the best way of doing it but the truth is that actually there isn't really an efficient way of doing it and you know they've tried loads of different methods I think rather we have reached what is the fairest method from kind of you know all the, all the previous which have been explored but you know, I think that this will probably be the last batch or one of the last batches and then we're going to see it properly from next season and whenever, when, you know, before the Euros, probably with Nasdaq and, you know, there will be no moaning, hopefully. 
Yeah, I think the the next step, I guess, would be in this like uh, paper over the cracks process. I would say is like just silently put the players in. Like I don't know when like Matty Longstaff scored for Newcastle, just silently put him in overnight, and then like if if you're on your phone or active, then like you you you, you buy in, you first you first to it, and people start obviously trading. I think that's just maybe like a good silent way of doing it going forward. Yeah, um, that, that's that's potentially one way. I think there's been they're, they're probably quite skeptical or apprehensive about doing. Um, this kind of uh, blind bidding system with the kind of tech they have in place because the complaints you'd have if everyone waited and you implemented this system that was kind of like faulty would be like massive people would lose their shit they'd be like oh this is kind of ridiculous we've waited four months for ipos tomorrow is and on the on the system and he, he's playing for england blah 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 all this stuff and if it didn't work people would be really upset so i guess they've gone with a quote unquote tried and tested system um, to try and get as many as they can up I, th- I think just through speaking with a few people they kind of have like enjoyed this whole process they kind of compared it to like camping out for Wimbledon or, <laughs> or sleeping overnight for Harry Potter like let's, let, let's wait up for wait up for fatty type of thing so yeah I think some people have like silently enjoyed like spending their whole <laughs> entire day waiting for this yeah I, I completely agree with you you know and it's funny because when you were speaking earlier on you were talking about someone holding a sign and being paid to hold a sign up and when i think about people waiting up for 24 hours or whatever it might be to get an ipo i think of something else which i'm fairly familiar with which is the like collecting of trainers and you have guys who will camp out for a week for a pair of new yeezys or you know someone who will camp outside the apple store for the new macbook or whatever it might be and that person knows roughly how much they'll sell that for you know, they may not have a job. In fact, they likely don't have a job if they're able to camp outside on Regent Street for, for a week. But at the same time, it's just, you know, it's, it's, it's whether it's valuable to them. And like you said, if somebody can make 500 quid in a week or if they can stay up for 24 hours and hope that they get fatty, camavinga, whoever, then it might be worth it. And to be honest, everyone's an adult. Like, you, you know, okay, I know it may not have come at the best time of the gambling, responsible gambling week and all the rest of it. And I know that there are kind of some irony there, but at the same time, it's not FI never holding a gun to anyone's forehead. They're not trying to, you know, the reason why they're doing IPOs in this way is not so that people will stay up and they'll ruin people's lives and you know, make people incredibly tired. It's to make it the fairest they can. And I think in that regard, that that's, that it's, it's important to consider because people are complaining that I've been up all night and this player has an IPO. But then I'm like, well, nobody's forced you. Mm. I guess they've done the best they probably can in the situation they are in i guess the only alternative would be dumping them all at the same time which i guess is a, a conversation maybe they probably had internally but then maybe you have the, the conversation of well if we dump 100 at the same time and everyone knows what time the servers probably crash so it's like you know that there's the cost of doing that there i do i do think there's something interesting on like you know, that um, staying up for a new iPhone, staying up for a new, um, you know, pair of shoes, whatever it may be, like we are approaching that kind of curve in time or like age where like a lot of collectibles and stuff are like digital. So, you know, like um, owning like a, a domain, like crypto or whatever, these are all things that like you own, but like you don't really own physically. And I guess, you know we've taken that kind of that same endorphin rush and that kind of like same you know potential to make money so to speak 
and enjoyment from like camping out outside like a store and people have taken that I guess towards the realm which is FI I mean yeah you're right it's, it's the um the whole digital currency thing is is strange but I mean with FI in particular because there's you know it's directly correlated to making money I think it's more likely to incentivize people who have got the free time to do it yeah nothing really more to add there <laughs> nothing more to add I think FI Garden has a question about uh waiting for nasdaq and order books before the ipo system can be considered fair for all and i think it's i i guess fair is like relative because at the moment this is the situation and like fi can't cater for everyone right like we all three of us have you know three different jobs and we work probably three different hours and those hours might change kind of week to week or like month to month like uh, we were just talking about like you're going to Slovakia tomorrow, like I'm going to New York next week. There's never going to be a situation where like it's really fair for every single user, which is it, it's, it's obviously for FI. They're going to look at it and be like, well, at the moment, we're probably at like 40 percent of what we want the IPO to process to be. But even when it becomes 100 percent, I still think it's going to be a situation where you're going to need to invest time to actually like get on those players unless it is like a blind bidding system and there's an email sent out like a week beforehand and it's like hey what's the most you'd pay for this player kind of thing yeah i mean fi in general like every trade is like different and how much time they've got to like commit to it like if you're prepared to sit around on sat all day saturday and be at your computer and you your phone then you're in a probably in a better position than someone who can't do that but like every yeah ipo is like yeah, unless they do this kind of like some sort of like order ordering like bidding system, the way it is at the moment, like there's no, there's always going to please one. It's going to suit one trader more than another. And like I'm quite, I as someone who doesn't really have time to I to do IPOs, I'm like I'm quite happy with that. Like I don't have the time to put into this, so like I'm just going to focus on d doing other profitable methods on. FI and that, that's what keeps me happy and also I think that something important to consider part of the question was you know about waiting until order books come in but I think that you have to also consider the fact that say for example you're a new trader and you know you see Tomori who's starting his first game and this is earlier on in the season you know he's starting a game and you search him on the index and he's not there I think you know if if you were new to the index that would you know be somewhat off-putting because you'd say well surely you know if this is a football platform where you trade individual players surely this is exactly the type of player that i'd like to trade and so therefore if they were to leave them longer you're damaging acquisition prospects i think in that respect and i think that's something quite important to consider i think you you are right like i i've said it on the pod before like i literally have a colleague that sits next to me and we've been colleagues for two years he knows that i'm on fi and like do all the fig stuff he won weekends messaged me like hey just finally had a weekend to sit down and like look at this football index thing that you're like involved in um where's this player this player this player and this player and this is someone who like grew up in france so he like knows loads of pl players that are in france and like are up and coming players in that in that league and he was just like oh well like if i can't buy these players like why would i want to be on this thing and he never signed up so you're not like wrong in thinking that at all you're i think you're completely right it's it's definitely you know it's a factor which contributes massively i think that you know as season so-called users i think that we probably underestimate the significance of things like that in actually attracting new players and realistically 
we as customers of Football Index, we all want the platform to grow because the bigger it becomes, the more money we make from the more money that's in there. Um, so yeah, I think it is important. Yeah, I think it's, yeah, the order book thing is going to be interesting because I guess essentially players could go below their IPO price. So maybe at the moment people, or players that are IPO'd highly, people may look at them with low downside because they're IPO price. But with what I think the system like order books is going to come in, it will mean that players will probably be able to drop below that price, which might change people's mindsets when they go for some of these players, um, which is going to be weird, I guess. Uh, we, we got a question here from, you can analyze too much again. Uh, this is off IPOs, but he said, last one from me and a proper one this time for both uh, Soccer Index and Nick. Uh, some people's portfolios have been dropping since the PB change. Some say adapt or die. Some say be patient. What are your thoughts? Yeah, I think I put a tweet out a couple. It, it was, I can't remember what point I did, but I, I did put a tweet out saying it's, it's time to adapt or die. So yeah, I'm, I'm more in that kind of camp to adapt or die. So I was actually in a position where I was holding lots of players who weren't re really suited to this dividend increase. I kind of took what they maybe said in like your previous pod with what Mike said in the previous pod that like dividends aren't going to increase and these this structure is going to take us into order books. And I did actually have, I'd moved away from a lot of PB players and I was more focusing on kind of like non-PB players who had uh, hype and were, were doing quite well um, at the time. And then suddenly that announcement came in and yeah, I, I just, I did then just completely flip and change my strategy completely. And it's been absolutely for the better. Um, I put like lots of money in where I thought the money was going to go. And had I, yes, you could have sat still and the players who I probably were holding at the time, like they would have, they're potentially, they were good players, I thought. But I, I, it was just time then to adapt and like, you can't sit on a portfolio that's dropping when there's potential like 20%, 50% rises in other players at that time. has been my most profitable to date by an absolute country mile but at the same time you know when I think of actually how I've traded throughout the different throughout the periods and kind of how that's changed that's it's all about adaptation and I think even now when it's very clear to people that you have a lot of performance buzz players or you know players who are c competing for match day dividends who are undervalued given the fact that they dominate their various field be it someone like Trent Alexander-Arnold or you know some of the set piece taking midfielders or you know Messi or or Neymar I um I think that they're the way to go right now is is obviously investing in those performance buzz players but also I think an adaptation also doesn't have to kind of bear in mind I'm oh, sorry doesn't have to be short long term it can be short term so an example would be for example in the last couple of days so with the um, with the international break, a lot of these players, like the performance buzz players, who have flown over the past week or so, have, have taken a little bit of a drop. Now, I 
like you boys, I think, do as well. And I think a lot of the guys we know who've been training for quite a while will always keep, you know, a significant cash balance there in order to take advantage of certain things, you know, on an ad hoc basis. And doing that and, you know, with, with a player like Ericsson, for example, who has got a few links away and kind of momentum has picked up a little bit with regards to transfers, as well as a couple of other players. Me investing in those in the last couple of days has been able to counterbalance the drop from performance buzz players who, who you know, unjustifiably so have dropped and they will pick up and most of them have picked up again. But I think that even small adaptations like that can really make the difference in terms of your overall figures and your overall profit. Yeah, and I think people tend to, um, you know, not really mould their kind of portfolio strategy depending on like what they're doing. Like I've said it quite a few times, like, I'll tend to keep a cash balance if I have quite a lot of time in my hands. But when I don't, I know that like that cash is probably working better for me when I can't look at the index like once every two hours and it's actually going to be like once a day kind of thing. Because there's no point in me having, you know, however much percentage of my like portfolio or like total... <laughs> total someone's just like coughed right into our uh, our pod uh, a total kind of portfolio value in cash because it's not going to be doing anything there if i'm not actually like active to invest in and like i'll kind of vary and be fluid with that but also i think there are people who um, set up their portfolios in a way they should be comfortable with when the tide isn't going with them it's not going with them and if they want to be part of every wave and part of every tide then they should diversify to the extent that they will be part of that, like that every wave if that makes sense and if you feel uncomfortable with you know okay look i'm only going to buy players that can win pb right that's my strategy if you get to a point where you know in the summer where those pb players are you know not going to return too much and they're probably going to have a lull or in international breaks where they might not be playing for their countries, you have to be prepared to take those losses. And I think people set up their portfolios thinking long-term, but not actually thinking how they're gonna be prepared for those kind of like drops, if that makes sense. Yeah, I think we have to appreciate as well that like this platform's like growing massively. And like in order to make the platform as best as it can be, FI are potentially at times gonna have to make changes. And we are at the mercy where they significantly can move the goalposts and we'll all agree it's for the better of the platform but it it might not be for the better of your portfolio and when they and i hope well we don't know but like maybe the next few months the goalposts hopefully won't change and yeah you can if if your player is dropping and you've kind of invested in them for a certain reason then yeah you can be quite sit quite comfortably with the drop knowing that you invest in for a reason and he's going to rise again but when the goalposts like materially change, as we did with a 57% dividend increase, suddenly the players that aren't returning dividends are going to be less valuable than the ones that are. And you've got to, you've got to like move then. And you've just got to cut, cut, cut your losses or move on and adapt, basically. Yeah, I think there's a, there's a lot to be said about that. And I think a lot of people um, underestimate the potential money you can make when you actually adapt successfully because it can be quite high you talked about like potentially losing 10 percent or gaining like 30 20 30 50 percent there are you know situations where someone can make quite a lot of money and it's not um it's not like i think a lot of people also think that if they adapt their strategy they're kind of cheating themselves 
which is a, a kind of vibe that I get a lot on Twitter where I see someone say, oh, I don't want to do this because like, this is how I've set up. But you don't have to be set up that way, which I think is the important thing to, to realize. Yeah, massively. Like you are, in terms of trading, you are definitely, you can have the propensity to be your own biggest enemy. I think that, you know, so many people will say, to them even if it's to themselves you know oh, but that players already had like a 30p increase i mean a, a good example to give is someone like halland like i think with halland like people probably looked at him when he was one pound 80 and thought this is a guy playing in a non-pb league who yeah will probably get a move at the end of the season but i mean is he really going to go above 180 and then he hits two pounds and then he hits three pounds and then what's he now is he like three pound 80 is he was he two pound 80 I try, let me look. He's, I, all I know is that he's been on the trending list for the past couple of days and he's got five hat-tricks in the season. Yeah, it was 380, yeah, sorry. I, I doubted myself then. But, um, but yeah, players like him, I think that you, you sometimes, you know, there's only so long you can swim against the tide. And I think that people will try and try and try and try. But realistically, the, I think like the less that you're staunch in your stance against things, like for example, Haaland, if you're saying, uh, I can't buy because I didn't buy him when he was two pound or I didn't buy him when I was three pound. You will be more profitable. Now it's not just to say, oh, somebody's rising and jump on them, but it's, it's sentiment. And you have to remember that just because you think, oh, actually, you know, I can't really stomach the fact that this player who isn't playing in a PB league is two pound 50 or what have you. You have to realize it's not the footballing world which determines the prices on football index. It's purely the market on football index and they are the entire market. So. If, the, if, if you can feel from the FI Twitter community or from the way that someone's been on the trending chart for the past like four or five days, that they are on the up and up, then actually maybe it's time to reconsider your options and kind of think, actually, is it time to, to buy that player? I'll just say one more thing on this as well is that whatever player someone owns, someone else can probably skew an argument to justify that purchase, right? So. You know, one trader could say, oh, Haaland, like there are players his age who are scoring goals in a much harder league and actually returning more dividends. And someone else can say, well, he'll be in a PB dividend league in, an, in another year. And he probably has the underlying stats to achieve more goals than that player that you've just said when he gets there. Like, do you know what I mean? There's, there's such an easy way to skew data, skew um, logic in the kind of like path that you want to justify or not justify a player's price or purchasing or holding or selling them. Um, got another question here from DDR on the forum. With the dividend announcement, FI intimated the possibility of rewarding consistent performers. Do they think, uh, do you guys think they would take the form of team of the week or month or something else? I, so I... The thing is, for me, I have spent the last couple of weeks or however long it's been since the, the, the dividend increase kind of investing 70 or 80 percent of my money into performance buzz players, the guys who, you know, I think are going to be competing on a very often, you know, very regular basis. Now, the benefit of them, them potentially doing this, this, this long term dividend, whatever that might be, is that. If you, have, if you have a portfolio which is set up full of players who are performing regularly with performance buzz, like they're gonna be in those, like they're gonna win those dividends, those, whatever these long-term dividends are, because you're setting up those exact players who fit the mold of that. 
So I think that, I mean, in terms of what form it takes, I've got no idea. I mean, you know, they can be pretty inventive and I think they probably will be with this one because they have a, you know, a bit of creativity with it. But I think that, you know, when you're talking about who's going to increase in value, I mean, you've got players like, you know, we keep coming back to Trent Alexander-Arnold and obviously you probably realised by now that I own a fair few of them. But, <laughs> but that's because he's a standout you know, performer in his position. And, you know, people talk about Kimmich, but you've got the positional thing, etc., etc. But with Trent, I think that because he's such a standout performer, whatever they were to introduce, you know, whether it be a team of the week, team of the month or something different, he would stand to benefit, which therefore makes him intrinsically more valuable, which therefore just adds to the actual value that he's got right now. Yeah, completely agree. Like, it's, you don't really have to think too much into this. Like, it's going to be a, some sort of metric that good PB player, good match day dividend players are going to benefit from. Like, whether it's like team of the week based on number of points they've uh, amassed during the month or like, yeah, or, or like an average or something like that. Like, it's going to be something along those lines. So you, you don't really need to look at all where the value is going to be had from that. And so, yeah, I'm, I'm similar. Like, I, yeah, it's the same type of players, yeah. Uh, as we mentioned, Trent Alexander-Arnold. It's only going to be those type of players that are going to benefit from it. I guess if you did really look into it, it might also be those kind of like baseline players. So I hold a lot of players who like have a good baseline but also can really hit those peak scores. So say someone like, saying a few names, but like uh, Gnabry, like he, he, he has that potential to hit like a really high score and that's why I find him valuable. But maybe is if it was a long-term consistent thing, is would it maybe favour like someone who's gonna consistently get sort of like two hundreds, two fifties over the course of a month? Someone maybe who plays like centre mid and has a lot of the ball and set pieces, rather than those type of players. Like that's if you're really looking deep into it, that's how I'd kind of look into it. But could be yeah. anything, could it? Like you could. You could have some if you come in the top ten in that position a number of times or top five. Like it could be tiered in a weird way. Do you know what I mean? Like it could be anything. But I remember Nick, the last time you came on, we talked a lot about in play dividends and how FI must have um, done their due diligence internally and talked to like their new board members and so on and so forth to try and like probably add add liquidity add short-termism and like um more of like a gambler's mentality to the platform are you surprised that from kind of the conversation we had at that point we're now talking about you know fi who have doubled the kind of intrinsic long-term dividends in the three-year bets and are now looking to add even more long-termism to that no not really because i think that if they the, the issue they would have run into if they'd increased ipds by anything would have been that there would have been too much focus on them and performance buzz is now and should always have been the biggest reward i mean you know when you when you're talking on a gold day or a treble day as it was known the star player should be you know one of the most expensive players on the platform or the people who are competing for that should be the most expensive and i think that you know when you have someone like mason greenwood who's nearing six pounds or five pounds or whatever he was at again this is leading to a problem with acquisition in that you're having people logging in and saying, well, why are there, you know, like 10 people who are under 18 who haven't even got a cap yet, or, you know, have only got a handful of caps for their, for, their, um, for their club, who are above people who are performing week in, week out. 
And I think that they, through increasing dividends in this way, have actually enabled themselves to kind of negate that to a certain extent. And we've seen that with a drop in, in youth players. But I think that actually, you know, and I think we probably all agree on this, the, um, the move towards increasing performance buzz, leaving IPD where it was, and then obviously, you know, creating a bit of hype as well by increasing the media dividends was what they needed to do. And I think that that was, um, was spot on by FI. Yeah, I think they did really well in that. It was probably the most predictable one. And um, yeah, it was, it was the one that, um, that, that worked out well for them, I think, uh, in the end, in terms of like the proportions of the increases and kind of like the increase overall. Um, the Kaiser, again, your mate, the bold one, has got another question. Could you give an accountant's definition of opportunity costs? How does this feature in your strategy? Um, so, yeah, it's essentially your, the return on your potential investment get less than what your kind of existing investment was or the, the return on your existing investment. So let's say if you hold a player, say if I held a player at £2 and I really liked him as a long-term bet and I thought he was going to go up 50% in, the, in, in say, a year's time, I may, that would maybe be like 5% in, in a month or he might even be static in a month, but I'm going to hold him because he's a good investment long-term. Suddenly you say the goalpost did change and then I suddenly saw a player that was, I could see maybe could increase 50% in a month then my opportunity cost would be the 50% minus the 5% I would have made on that, on that original player. And that's like 45% that you could have lost. So yeah, your opportunity cost is the, the cost of holding your existing holds. And I guess you have to factor in some, some things like instant sell and things like that. But yeah, it definitely comes part of my strategy. I probably have a slightly more unique way in that I don't really like to slam the, the instant sell button. So I do tend to hold a bit of cash back in my bank because I can't trust myself with being in the app. But like, if something does does like significantly happen, but I want to put money into another player, I'll I'll deposit and put money into that player, and then I'll slowly market sell another player I've identified is my opportunity cost. I recently did that in quite a big way. Um, yeah, when we said when we saw Alexander Arnold's huge score in the game against Tottenham. Like I just felt that he was going to rock it and I just had to put money into him and then decide after that who I was going to sell because it was just too much of an opportunity cost to not to miss out on that and it, it paid off I guess with that one. Yeah, and I, I, I mean, I think James nailed it there. I think he really hit the hammer on the nail, uh, nail on the head. So I, um, the, I, the thing is with opportunity costs is, is it's invisible and so it's very difficult to kind of explain it to people and to actually get give people a proper grasp of it without kind of doing what you did there and giving kind of a percentage and actually saying okay but you choosing to hold on to this player and not moving into this player has resulted in this i mean in terms of my strategy i'd say it's become opportunity cost is less significant than it was probably before the dividend increase for me personally but it's still very significant and i you know a player a player for example you know, give you give when when uh, the dividend increase went on. I remember I bought Depay, and I bought a lot of Depay, and then he kind of didn't move an awful lot, and I sold half of them off. And when I sold half of them off, I kind of thought, well, 
there's going to be a lot of players who will have explosive growth because it's the first couple of weeks of the new dividend increase and there's potential you know kind of flyers who you can make the most of and i thought that maybe actually i could take advantage of those with the money that i currently had in the pie so then with that money i then invested some of that into Me into messi when he scored his i think his when his first goal went in and this is when he got went on to get a hat trick and win performance buzz and he obviously flew up now Messi's a good hold this season. I mean, we won't talk long term, but Messi is a great hold this season. In terms of people who are competing regularly, he is right up there with, you know, among the top probably two or even, the, you know, the top of the very top of the index. But when that rise had happened, I then started to slowly sell off all those, uh, all the Messi's that I had to get a cash balance because I thought somebody else would be, you know, flying the next couple of days. I'm not to say that this happens all the time, but then obviously Timo Werner went and scored 1600 goals in the weekend on the, on the in the game on the weekend and again i bought loads of timo and with timo i held him for a little bit longer i held him for a day or so but the thing was i kind of thought well he's got an incredible score in terms of performance buzz and he probably is a good long-term hold in fact i do still think he is a good long-term hold but i don't hold him because i thought well you know when is he going to beat this performance and score seven goals again etc and there'll be opportunities and i think that's that's quite key in terms of making me money in this year. And I think that's something which everyone can incorporate. Yeah, I think as well with instant selling players, I've been much more inclined to instant sell players, knowing that that money can be better, uh, put to use. The player gets you know, injured and they're out for a month. I'm more inclined to sell them now than I was maybe a month ago. So it's, it's, it's really interesting. It's like, you know, yeah, it, opportunity cost is certainly, as you said, invisible, but a very important part of FI. Um, FI Forest here has a question. Uh, lots of people are saying that there is loads of value now that dividends have gone up. But how do you determine value? If a player does not return the initial investment in dividends over the next three years, surely the player is overpriced. What are your thoughts? I mean, it's, I, I, I personally think the, the question is quite insane because... I think that it's really indicative of the way that uh, we've all been kind of spoiled by FI over the past couple of years and the growth which has been associated with it and therefore expecting that the growth going forward will be you know, mirroring that, which is unlikely. Um, I mean, that, that being said, we've probably been saying that for the past year and a half, two years, and it has been, and it's only got even bigger. But the thing is, it's all about perspective. I think that because we've been spoiled, people's ex expectations are a lot higher. But if you were to say to somebody, you know, I think FI have been kind of you know they they've made no well, they haven't tried to kind of play it down that they want big investors to come in in terms of you know they've been in city am and trying to advertise to people who work in the city and work in finance who have large amounts of money to spend and for those guys if they're coming in and saying you know if you can advertise it to them as oh you can make 20 percent off you know holding one of these performance buzz players over a season they would absolutely tear your hand off for that return because because they don't expect the, you know, the mad, mad returns of 200, 300% that people are seeing in their portfolios in an ROI in a given year. So it is very subjective in that, in that sense. Um, but yeah, in terms of returning 100% in through dividends, I think that like, <laughs> there aren't gonna be a huge amount of people who, players who do that. And I also think, don't think that's a realistic expectation. I think there's slight confusion in the question though, because he asked about, or he or she asked about the value or determining value and then kind of has, has looked at the three-year bet quite literally. I think we talked, James, before we, we recorded about how people don't realise that it could be a three-year bet, 
or it could be a six-year bet with a 4% commission. The only thing that matters is the length of the hold and the commission as proportionate to each other. Yeah. So, yeah, essentially, well, a lot of people say that, like, a player should deliver, deliver his price in dividends over the course of his whole career. It's, it should never really be looked at in a three-year three year sense. Like, it should be what they, yeah, what they deliver in the course of their career. In the three-year sense, it's actually, well, looking at it quite bluntly, it's like, what would someone in three years' time think that he is going <laughs> to deliver in the rest of his career? Like, that is actually, like, in, it's, it's impossible to quantify because there's different things that come into prices and there's short-term fluctuations and uh, expectations that, and hype that might not necessarily, like, uh, come to fruition. But, yeah, it's essentially what is someone else prepared to pay for it in three years' time? is what it's valued so it's never what would a per player deliver over the free course of the three years um so yeah i think it's not quite grasping the whole concept of it technically you could say if a player because i know you did on one of your recent pods where i think it was with pb man who did it over under on will this player deliver dividends for the rest of his career at his current price so i think that's the way you can value player, but not over three years. Yeah, yeah, I think you're right. And obviously, you've got in play dividends that like factor into it, like positional changes, dividend increases. It's like very hard to quantify, as you said. Uh, we've got a question here from FI Gardner. I'm sure you don't want it to discuss rival products too much, but are you at all concerned with a new football index rival launching soon and money moving out of the index? Um, I mean, I think that what's key to remember is that it's, I mean, I think this is probably alluding to Sportstack, which is not a direct competitor in my mind for Football Index. Um, I, I was going to take this as, or use this and pretend that it was my own knowledge, but actually it's not. Football Index AS, we had a conversation with him the other day, and one thing that he brought up, which is actually a really good point, which I hadn't really considered, was that obviously people are trading on Sportstack in play in terms of, you know, will a, will a player go up or down during this game in terms of their fancy scoring system that they've got. Now, the problem that you've got is initially you'd imagine that there's probably, and I don't know this for a fact, but you would imagine that the Premier League is probably the first league which they're going to bring in, right, for the, um, for the platform. And when you look at Saturday fixtures at three o'clock, you, like, obviously none of them are televised legally in the UK and none of them are allowed to be televised. Now, in terms of Premier League games in a week, that if there aren't games on a Tuesday or Wednesday, that accounts for between 40 and 60% of total fixtures in that week in the league. And so that's therefore 40 to 60% of total games if they only implement it with the Premier League in the first instance, where people can't watch the games. And if you can't watch the games, then I think that it makes it less of an exciting prospect because it's just, you know, nobody really wants to spend a game on sofa score, live score, just like sliding down, refreshing, oh, Alexander-Arnold's got another touch, oh, he's got a yellow card, etc. So I think that there's probably work to do there, but also in the, you know, in the same vein like I started with, I don't think it's a direct competitor. And I think um, Lee, SOCD, actually said something about FI recently. He said, um, you know, people really forget how long it took for liquidity to actually come into FI. And I know it might be different with different products, depending on what their proposition is, how long term they are. But with the three year bet, quote unquote, it's so hard to get liquidity in those positions. Like it's actually amazingly hard. If you think about like FI as a product with only MB, at the start, 
the amount of money that was in it and like Nick you were working at the company at that time you guys were probably seeing trading volumes that are like that would be absolutely dwarfed by what they are now I could imagine so it's really you know I think that's that's another thing that like FI at their their point they are from a maturity standpoint compared to competitors and like I think we've had this debate about like what, what if someone just came in and did the exact same thing as FI well I guess you know there would be loads of arguments to say well loads of people would hedge and put money into that product but at the same, same time FI could say well we're just quadrupling dividends or like you know I'm, I'm being like really hyperbolic here but they could just say well we're going to double dividends and we're we're adding a deposit bonus then you've kind of got a decision to make right and um and at that point you would think if you've got like 200k in this thing and they're offering you like um a deposit bonus of up to ten thousand pounds and dividends are doubled it's kind of a no-brainer like people aren't going to look at like another product at that point and i think i think nick you've alluded to this that this is kind of a joker that fi have into their hands uh, up their sleeve that they are the market maker and even with all the books coming in they probably will still be the market maker to some extent not as as big as they are but they have the ability to kind of like completely change the value of people's bets which is like a unique position to be in yeah i think and that's that's quite key in it you know the fact that they can attract new investment or you know refresh the platform and and listen to users and create a platform which you know their user base is kind of proud to use i think is significant and it's so powerful because as you said you know they they are the ones who decide the rules and they can you know they can move those rules slightly depending on what people want and the feedback that they get and i think in that sense football index is really unique yeah and i think with kind of every growing week month yeah fi are becoming it's almost building up that like moat around it that like it is getting harder for someone else just to rock up with a, a similar platform and like trump it so like the longer the bigger fi gets yeah the more power they have got on kind of other new, new uh, products coming into the market i guess yeah go if if they wanted us to go into the specifics yeah they did something i think the day footstock came out or in the, in the first couple of weeks uh a deposit bonus got slammed down and i think anyone who isn't maybe like del- like deliberating or should i put money into footstock well no there's a 10 percent deposit bonus on football index like not a chance uh and i think yeah i don't know if they did it deliberately but like i think that did almost take the sale out of their like footstocks win um i think sports tag as well we've had I mean, we had a couple of conversations on it as well. I think we were speaking to someone who's a bit more closer to it than us. And they kind of alluded to that it is a completely different product in the sense that, like, me who doesn't really have a big gambling background, I don't think it really is for me at all. And I think the initial consensus we've got is it isn't something you park a lot of money in. It isn't something that has, like, a long-term nature to it. Um, it might They don't particularly want, like, big winners the last thing I want to say about this kind of section or this question from FI Gardner, I think it's an important one, is that like, it doesn't necessarily mean that there has to be one winner when an industry is being disrupted. Like, if you look at like Monzo, Starling, Revolut and like these bank accounts and like the multiple ones that do it for like small businesses and the multiple uh, digital companies that are offering like kind of wealth management or like ICE and stuff, like they are all successful businesses. And you might turn around and say, well, like the actual financial market or like the FTSE or like um, investment has been like uh, really thorough and large since the financial crisis. 
but you've still got like these three like banking competitors who have like millions of competitors, hundreds and hundreds of millions of pounds of investment, worth billions, have millions of customers and are winning awards and stuff. Like, just because, you know, we might look back on this in like eight years and FI might come third in terms of being the biggest like betting disruptor. We probably are sitting around this table thinking it will be top, but that might not be the case. But it, it won't mean that FI at that point won't be successful, if that makes sense, which is an important thing to factor in, I think. Um, but yeah, we'll, we'll stop now for a little ad break. Uh, and if you're looking for players or for data for footballers not on the index, uh, you can do that now with Index Gain. Uh, you, you can view match day scores, opt to stats and more with their new feature, Buzz Scout. So it basically includes all players that participate in match day league and cup competitions who are currently not available to buy on the index. So if you're IPO hunting out there and you want to know what players are you know, doing from a PB standpoint, this is kind of a, the, the report for you. Um, and yeah, like if, if you are sitting there and trying to value a player that hasn't got any stats on, on the index yet, then Index Gain have done it for you. Um, and if you guys want to check them out, then you can just use the code FIG2020 uh, on indexgain.co.uk and you get 50% off your first month. So uh, do check it out. It's a really cool tool. Their Opta integration now is like remarkable. It's, it's super awesome. To, so definitely do check it out. We've got a question here around trends because... Uh, Again, I mentioned Soccer Index is very good at predicting them. Uh, Dazzler FI, once you've predicted an oncoming trend, how long before you expect the trend to kick off would you invest? I often struggle with FOMO on current market opportunities if I put my money into a trend that I know will happen, but it won't, but it won't happen for weeks or months. Is it worth splitting money into two pots? One for current trading and one to allow early trading into the next trend? Yeah, um... It is obviously pretty hard to predict next trends, and no, it in a sense it isn't actually that hard to um, uh, predict 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 trends that much. I mean, we can all kind of look, and we know January is coming around the corner, but it's almost a case of you don't want to go in too early for that trend. Too early for that trend. Like the last thing you want to do is sit on a player who might be good for two or three months' time and just not deli- not deliver any capital gro- growth or any dividends. And yeah, you got on early for the trend, but it goes back to like opportunity cost. You could have had someone who was flying in that time frame. So yeah, it is, it is, it is almost like a little game of like cat and mouse. You don't want to go too early and almost, yeah, you almost don't want to go too early. Like say I often talk to like, if like you see a trend going on like a, say a curve, do you really want to be in that top five, that, that first 5% where it's really slowly, slowly moving and you, you maybe make 5%. Or do you want to really just catch it right before it ramps up? And it's easier said than done to do it. So yeah, I kind of do it. I do. It's a it's a bit less scientific, but yeah, I do kind of have like two two pots if you like. I maybe have some like a lot of players in the current trend, and I'd like to get on early with them. Maybe half of what the full amount I would like to get at. So I kind of like ease myself into the trend. So maybe in the next couple of weeks, I'll start to buy players that I think will be good for January transfers but I won't want to go too much into it if you know what I mean because I think the trend we're in at the moment with like PB players is too good to miss out on basically so what I'd do is I'd kind of ease myself in slowly slowly build up these certain players that I want to hold for the next trend and then equally with if a trend is like dying out then 
Owl slowly start to offload players at the top of that trend and maybe not get the last like five ten percent of that trend but I'm kind of get still maybe getting a bit of growth out of it but I've kind of got the most of my growth by being in that middle sector where it's kind of like been right at the heart of that trend where I've had like my full amount in it I like I, I agree with that and I think that it's you know you always run the risk of you know opportunity cost it like here it comes again but from getting on too early and then not having that. And I think that obviously, as we kind of discussed before, I think the three of us do try and keep somewhat of the balance um, in terms of a cash balance there for that sort of thing. But I think that another thing to add, I mean, I similarly agree with you. You know, you look at a player like Toby Alderweireld, for example, like I think that he could be a name which is bandied around for a transfer in January. And for the past couple of weeks, I've had 500 or so looking to build that position probably up to 1500, you know, if the news kind of goes the way I think it might, etc. Now. Something which you can do and I think which is good practice to get into if you're a trader is buying markers and kind of saying, okay, well, it's October now and obviously the January transfer window opens on the 1st. So therefore, I think that probably within the next month, say, for example, I think, you know, that transfers are going to pick up. There's going to be more stories around and people are going to realize the potential profit that can be made from these players because, you know, you look at a player who's 70p. And if they win, if they win you know, on a day, on, if they win the media or they finish top of media on a day when it's treble media, of which there are 20 days in or 21 days, I think, in January, then that's a potential, I think, 14% ROI. And so the, the returns there are massive. And I think they've been overshadowed a little bit by the fact that, you know, certain elements of performance buzz or match day dividends have increased such a star player by whatever it is, three or 400%. Um, but I think buying a marker is a good way of doing it because then you're able to keep an eye daily on okay how's how's his price getting on and you know is the market shifting slightly oh it's gone up a couple of pence since i bought and that gives you a better indication i think than if you were to just kind of every now and again look at a player's price of is the market turning and that in itself is quite a good read in terms of where the market's going to go i think hmm. speaking of where the market's going to go uh harwood in index or how oh, fuck he's, he's fucked me again with this uh with this surname Harwood harwood always always fuck it up uh obvious question as it's in the title but what is the next trend gonna be happy to accept the dm before this goes out so i can get on first uh go on mystic ball time james so i think before we delve into the, like smaller trends i think we are in a massive like big macro trend but like and not a lot well we've seen in the past so I think we are almost going back to where we were a year a year ago and it was maybe November time when they announced where the share split was going to happen and from that time I think the likes of Neymar and Pogba who were the two they were the two biggest players at the time the market kind of went these players are significantly undervalued because a share split's coming a lot of players typically rise at the top when a share split happens and it might coexist with a dividend increase so what we saw was that the market couldn't react on day one in November just because there simply wasn't enough money in the market. So rather than Neymar shooting up from £14 to £24 overnight because that was maybe his, his new kind of value, what we saw was that I think he went from like £15 all the way up to £24. But that was over the course of, say, November to june or may whenever the share split was so it's just simply because there isn't like enough money in the market for for him to i mean to shift neymar what a pound even in new in new terms is it's serious money i don't know how, how much it is yeah i looked at i'm sure i worked out a few weeks ago i think like to get neymar to pet 10 pounds was 
Oh, I don't, I don't want to put. I, th I thought it was half a million. That sounded about right. I think it's probably more. I was in my yeah. mind. I'm thinking about it. it should be. And that, that's so much money. I mean, and I remember sat, sat being sat in a similar position. I, I mean, I held Neymar, but I didn't have loads of him, and it kind of went from like fifteen pound to eighteen pound really quickly. And I was like, oh, well, he's gone up. Like he's gone up. I don't want to put. He's he's gone up three pound in the last week. Like I don't want to put more money into him. And he, they just kept on rising and rising and rising. And I think that we're in a macro trend at the moment where the whole market, especially the dividend returners, especially ones who can get Starman, which increased by like 400%, they're going to be so, they're undervalued potentially probably for the rest of the season. So I think that first of all is like a big trend that's like, that's not going to go away at all. And that's going to be with us right the way through. I think then going into the smaller trends, it's it's gonna like yeah, let's look at the more obvious ones. So we've got winter breaks and we've got a lot a lot of uh prem, prem games over that time frame. So we'll coming up to the next couple of the next month, are we gonna get more of a focus on prem prem players? On, probably almost definitely. And then yeah, as we say, January transfers, there's gonna be a lot of interest with that. Then after that, then we're more thinking Euros and summer transfers. And potentially youth players that are going to come on, and I think they're the really obvious. Maybe speculating on who's going to be good for next season, right? Yeah. Like we saw with the likes of Demebay and and who else in right? I think off the top of my head, Neymar to put him up seventy p would be about. So I'm thinking I, in my head, I, the number was a five. I think it's five million maybe to get him to ten pounds from seven pound whatever he was at. But but yeah, I think that the, obviously the the trend of you know that we're yet to see which i think you know obviously james alluded to being the next trend is the young these youngsters i uh, sorry not youngsters because the last trend um is january transfers and i think that you know obviously i said before that there's 20 plus um treble media days in january which is going to be so huge because you see you know even now we're getting players linked overnight i mean did Demarol get linked or was that the reason why he flew up because i saw yeah i think there was a high profile <laughs> tweet but yeah he got he got linked to Arsenal, was it? Yeah, that was last night, right? Was that yeah, really? last just, night, yeah, exactly. And so, you know, you see a player like him who really, I mean, you look at Buzz today and he hasn't even factored into the scoreboard, but people just on the fact that he gets linked with a move to the Prem, he was up, he was top of the right. When I checked earlier on, he was top of the rise in the squad. And this is two months before it even happens. I think when we actually get into the thick of it, we're going to see some crazy, crazy rises. So we already got, have, though. Like Ryan Fraser went from like 110 to like 150. Or but that's, I mean, exactly. And that's my point. I think that when you actually see these guys who, you know, they could be moving within the next couple of days and a lot of papers are picking up the stories, we're going to see players who are under a pound doing 100%. There's no two ways about it. And it won't even take that long because if suddenly, you know, there's a player like Mandzukic who's been linked a lot to United and I'm not saying to listeners to buy him because he's also been linked to China <laughs> and uh, yeah, yeah like uh, places which are a nightmare for FI users um, but at the same time look I'm not even though I'm not saying buy necessarily buy Mandzukic I'm not saying don't buy him because you have you have players like um, Ibrahimovic for example and Ibrahimovic you could ride him up and down up and down like it sounds pretty <laughs> awful I realize as I'm saying that but you can ride, you, you know, you can ride the trends with people saying, oh, he's going to be linked to a non-PB league and then he goes down. And then, you know, now today or yesterday, he's announced that he's leaving and he, uh, LA Galaxy. And, you know, there's been chat of people in Serie A wanting him and this, that and the other. And so his price has gone up again. So, you know, there's always going to be chances to ride these players. Uh, but, yeah, it's a poor choice of words. <laughs>
Yeah. <laughs> um, uh, we'll move on to a question from Duncan Butler. But yeah, just one last on, thing no, on that. On, sorry. I think it's the players that are likely to be linked to January transfers. You can think too much into it and go, oh, well, yeah, like Leicester aren't going to sell him or like a yeah. club isn't going to sell him. But all you need is that is that Sky Sports uh, kind of push notification on your phone that Man United are bidding or interested in a player, and that's all you need. So it's yeah. So like yeah, that you don't. No, no, you're right. Yeah. So it's not is that transfer going to happen? Is it are people going to buy him because it might happen? It doesn't need to happen for you to profit on it. I think is a is a is a thing that we often say. Yeah, exactly. It doesn't uh, need to happen yet. Uh, we've got a question here from uh, Duncan Butler. Uh, I'd like you guys to speculate on the potential movements over the next three or four years of superstars Messi and Ronaldo. How much time do they have left at the top level, and what do they have to do to maintain high-end positions on the index, considering their age? Okay, well, let's. I mean, look, we could go on and speak for hours about this and we also don't know the answer but probably let's more interesting would be to say go around each of us how many years do we think each player has left in a pb league i've asked it right so let me start okay so messi i think is going to finish his career at barcelona reason being that i've heard things recently that even though he obviously wants to go and play for rosario and it's kind of that love story and it would be magic for football his family have lived in Barcelona for X amount of years and he has young children who are at school and the family are happy there. So whether that happens or not, I don't actually think it will. How long does he play for Barcelona? His minutes are being managed now. I think that he comfortably plays this season plus another two. Yeah, I think, Qatar. Yeah, right? yeah. yeah, and I, then I think that after that, that might be the end of what we see. But it equally might not be. Um, and Ronaldo, I mean... Ronaldo seems, you know, there's some stories picking up about him potentially leaving Juve. Not that I necessarily think there's any legs to it, but... He seems to be written off all the time, isn't yeah. it? Like, it seems, he seems to be written off at this time of the year, like every year for the past, like, six yeah. years. Gets to, like, February and it's like, he's the best again. It's, it's weird. And he's the sort of player, I mean, he said that he wants to play until he's 40. And obviously, in terms of the stats, up until he moved to Juve, his last season at Real Madrid was... You know, he was pulling in the best stats that he'd ever had in the Champions League and his league stats. So it doesn't look like he was slowing down. I mean, he's obviously taken a gamble and gone to a new league, which is indicative of the man himself, I think. But I think that, again, he's not the sort of player who you can really see wanting or accepting a step down. I think until he really is over the hump, when you're talking 39, 40, I think then he might go and play in MLS or in China. But as long as he's able to, I think he'll be playing in the league. So I think that actually, even though his gameplay and the way that his game is in total depends more on the physicality of it and the physical side of, of you know how his body's holding up I think that he probably will end up playing longer than Messi at, in a PB league potentially I do think that the type of bloke that Ronaldo is when he gets to that stage where he might not be able to perform physically as he, as he is right now he might say well I physically can't break records anymore and I can't do what I think I want to do why don't I, um, you know, affect a mass market, for example, like the MLS that you alluded to, right? Like, could he make the MLS, like, more mainstream than that? Because basically, like, if you took it the MLS since its inception, you've got two guys there that are, like, going to be in the Hall of Fame of football, David Beckham and Zlatan, right? Like, he might look at that and say, I literally dwarf those two combined times 10 in terms of, like, you know, commercially and as a player, if I go out there and I actually make the MLS like relevant, 
that would be like as big an achievement as like kind of his on-field actions as well. Like, you know, you look at like what David Beckham's uh, known for, like half of it is his like impact on the MLS. But to go back to the question, because I've rambled a little bit, like I do think that if you look at Messi's 32 now, Ronaldo's 34, right? I think Ronaldo's, I think Ronaldo's got another World Cup in him. I think he'll want to play. Yeah, no, uh, no, no. I think he'll, I think Qatar will, might be his last one. But then you never know, right? Like you're talking about a guy who's like brought unprecedented level of, levels of fitness to, to, um, uh, to, to football. Like, and we've seen pretty old players play in, in the World Cups before. And obviously, like, there's more wear and tear when you've played 20 years at the top level when you've played 50, 60 games every year. But I think this will be a lot. I think he might do another Euros. So I think he's got two more tournaments. So let's say four, let's say when he's 38, 39, that's when he stopped plays in, playing in a PB league. I think with Messi, 32 now, I think I could see him, like, leaving Barca at maybe 35, 36. Like, I think they've got the same kind of expiry date from now. Like, they're only two years apart, but, you know, like, Messi struggled with injuries this year. There's been r- rumours of Ronaldo's knee and, like, blah, blah, blah. Like, I don't know, it's hard to say. I think I, I'm going to be a bit of a wimp and say both got, like, four years in them. I'm more going with, going with Nick. I think Messi's probably got probably the three years to the Qatar, to Qatar and I think after that I think he still might do a little swan song in Argentina for like not for long like he's not going to go there for a year move his family he might fly over and do six months at the back end of a season and and, and that, that'll be him calling a day, a day like rounding off his career type of thing I'd, I honestly with Ronaldo I don't I really don't know like he could I think he's definitely got Qatar in him and potentially even 2026 I mean you just you look at him in a way he's like he's adapting his game now like he's not he knows he's not the player he was three years ago at Real Madrid flying down the left wing and he's more you can maybe even see him becoming like a pure number nine who just sits and he's not bad at heading and finishing and like he could just sit like do that job and score and score plenty of jobs so like he could literally do that probably till he's 40 and like the type of guy he is he's probably seen I mean I don't know how many career goals he's got now but is he 700 he's probably gonna look at that thousand and go i want that yeah and like he's probably just gonna wait till he drops off and get gets that he's the type of guy that would do yeah, that so <laughs> i mean i guess going back to the question as well like how how will they maintain their high-end positions in the index i mean the simple answer is are they returning dividends like if they're returning dividends then people are going to want to have money in them um i think in terms of the actual price they're probably going to go up as them as fi goes up so if FI market's going up 20% or as it has done it in recent months or weeks, like Messi's going to go up 20% in line with the market. And I think they'll largely track the market over that time frame. And yeah, but yeah, with Ronaldo as well, if a huge summer transfer comes along, we could see another huge spike in his price if he's delivering media all summer. He could literally be the star of the summer, like win the Portugal, win the Euros for Portugal, transfer back to Man United. You, you, saw, you saw the news, like anything could happen. Anything could happen. It's an interesting question though, one we haven't had before. Uh, we've got the next section here on kind of like the future of Football Index, because we had a few questions on this. Um, this is from Westy from the forum. I've only uh, recently just got into listening to these, love, uh, love them already, very interesting and useful. There is a current feeling and market pattern that is mostly payday money 
of current traders going in at the moment? What do FI need to do to attract more traders? Do they feel the current advertising gets the stock market element across clearly enough? I think the radio ad could be clearer and mention earning dividends instead of just buying and selling. I, so I mean, I am probably somewhat well-placed to answer this given that I've used to work in the marketing department. This is probably, I'll now be rank, ranked on whether I give a decent answer or not. <laughs> Let me just get the question up there so I address everything. I am. Um, I think that it's one it's one thing people on Twitter saying, oh, you know, most of the money that's going in since the dividend increase is from new trade uh, from existing traders, and it's it's money from the payday, etc. But nobody can actually qualify that answer. Nobody knows, and I can tell you from working when even my time working there that it's you know there's so much more going on under the surface that you don't realise. You know, when we're talking about target demographics and advertising and whether the advertising is done in the right place, et cetera, et cetera. I think that there are different ways of advertising to kind of high net worth individuals, for example. I mean, you know, advertising on the tube is not something which was, would, would adhere to them or would, would be relevant to them because, you know, these guys probably don't take the tube. Um, the difficulty that FI have is that the product is so complex. And so in that respect, they're always going to have an issue with, you know, if they've got 30 seconds or if they've got 60 seconds or they've only got an A4 piece of paper on a tube ad to actually promote the product, then how are they going to go about that? And I think that there's always going to be difficulty doing that. And also the fact that nobody's kind of come before them. So it's almost uncharted territory. I think that actually the way that their their tv adverts peak interest is actually really smart and i think that the way that they use the 500 risk free to get people on the tube is also really good um but in terms of advertising i think that yeah they, there are obviously things that they could do better i haven't actually heard the radio ad that you're kind of mentioning there but um no i think that the way they've done it recently has been great and i think that you know one of the massive things which is I think people in the initial instance actually slagged off, which was the shirt sponsorship is actually a really, really good use of their money. Reason being that it legitimizes Football Index over anything else. Like, you know, if you if you see it on the tube and you see, oh, like what's, you've never heard of Football Index before and it's like, you know, oh, I can buy and sell individual players. You would kind of think, well, I'd have no idea how that would work and probably think, oh, it's probably just some like some winky wanky startup, which actually, you know, the fact that I've not heard of means it's probably nothing. Whereas if you see Nottingham Forest on like, the front cover or, you know, on the back cover of like the non-league paper or whatever it might be, um, then you're kind of, or, you know, you're watching Sky Sports and you just so happen to see a shirt which has Football Index on in an instant that's legitimised. And I think that's really, really important because Football Index have got to the point now where they need to increase their brand awareness and spend more money on that sort of thing rather than the the startup kind of mentality, which is we want actual direct customer acquisition with our marketing spend. And so I think that actually they're going away, going, going about it in the right way. It's true. FI have like a very small window of time to explain what they are. And if it's on a tube ad or a shirt or a coaster or a radio ad or a YouTube ad, they're going to be slightly nuanced and different for whatever demographic they're trying to reach. But yeah, I think like, yeah, you can look at it and say, oh, well, it's only it's only existing traders that are putting money in. Again, we can't qualify that. But I mean, you speak to any business, like you speak to like a clo a retailer, or you speak to, you speak to like a holiday company, like they'll say like 75% of their business or 90% of their business is like returning customers. Like it's not, 
people are just walking by that close shot. It's the eighty. It's the eighty twenty rule, isn't it? Yeah, it's a, it's a, it's the eighty twenty rule. I, I, yeah, I don't exactly know, but you <laughs> kind of. It is, what is it? Is it basically where it's eight, like eight percent of your business? 80%, comes, yeah, eight percent of your business comes from twenty percent of your customers, or something like that, right? Yeah, yeah. So I mean, essentially, they they've done a lot of marketing to get a lot of new users in like August. Yeah, capture as new users, but rather than then depositing like five hundred pounds or a hundred pounds, if you're getting two or three of those who are like really enjoying the product, to then, you know, ten times or a hundred times or you know what I mean, like really increase that um, money that they're putting in. That's equally more powerful, I think, than just getting new users. Like it works in two ways, and I think. The way the marketing budget kind of gets spent, I, mean, I think like a lot goes in. We kind of discussed this before. Like a lot of it goes in at the start of the season because that's like a popular time, and a lot of it seems to go in at January as well, when it's more in people's minds. I guess when Christmas is out, I, 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 you might know more, Nick, why January is a really popular time. But um, that's the way I kind of see it with new users. We'll get more, a lot more new users in January, and over these months it's more people putting in more money well marketing budgets are usually burnt out by october november aren't they because uh you know yeah i mean also you kind of depends when the financial year is starting and it also depends you know like like you said how they planned where they've gone through rounds of investment and would, would, does that equate to them having more money in marketing and that sort of thing how's the platform been doing you know there are so many different variables which should taken into account but you'd think that yeah between kind of the beginning of the season and then december is probably when actually the schedule is kind of put together in terms of the marketing spend and then in January they probably go again we also have the January transfer window as well and that kind of the last big push in the season which is probably plays a significant role yeah yeah some uh, some wise words there the 80-20 rule uh, Fatty got IPO'd I think about two three minutes ago oh was it two three minutes ago I just oh I don't know actually you, you, you oh no I just, I just I just yeah I just presumed he would yeah well during this podcast yeah so, I think we'll call this opportunity costs the title. Um, uh, question here from new user four three four three one two. Innovative name there on the forum. Uh, do they think expanding access to football index in other countries will be possible, i.e., France, Spain, Scandinavia in the near future? Um, well, I mean, if you are a new user, it's it's available in uh, Canada, New Zealand at the moment. Uh, I think Ireland as well, of course. Yeah, always forget because they're so close to home. Um, are we going to see this in 2020 next, you reckon? Like, do you think there's going to be a couple territories? Um, I mean, look, I, you know, they, they, are ex- they are looking to expand. I know that. I know that from when I was there. I mean, there were various different geos that were spoken about when I was there. And I think that it's, you know, it's absolute gold dust to hear as a customer because as per the two or the couple of um, geos they've added so far in of Ireland, New Zealand and Canada, we, they operate in a shared market. And so... You know, for us as users, that means more money going to the market, which we're trading in. It means, you know, potentially more liquidity as, you're not, as long as you're not buying Mason Greenwood. And I think that it means that, you know, there's, there's potential there for us all to profit more from it. And I think that they, they would be mad if they weren't looking to expand it. But at the same time, there's, you know, there's obviously a balance there in that you don't want to kind of try and expand into other territories to the expense of the development of the product, which is, you know, absolutely fundamental to the growth of your product full stop. Um, not that I think they would do that because you know they've got some some very savvy marketing guys at the helm. But uh, but yeah, I think that inevitably they will be looking to do that. And yeah, there's a, there's probably only a finite amount they can they can scale as well. So it, it's important that when they do move into a territory, it's targeting and it's gonna 
it's it's worth their marketing budget effectively because they've only got a finite amount of money to kind of invest in that. Um, and just how many users there are from Canada, um, Ireland, and New Zealand, right? Like it can't be a massive portion of the total FI audience. Yeah. Um, and I guess even looking, we know that you know we, you speak to people and like it still hasn't got it still hasn't reached its like growth in England or in the UK. And I think that there's so much more that it can grow in the UK as well. But like, it's important not to forget about that. Um, I guess they have they have like kind of banded it about that like Germany might be might be the next place uh, it goes just with their kind of gambling culture type thing. Um, I think you know people rumored about like Spain when Guillaume Belleguet came on and like there's 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 always going to be rumors and obviously you have to look at like these regions in Europe in those top five PB leagues I guess quote unquote um, and how they are set up from a regulatory standpoint with gambling there's only so much some of these countries going to be able to do right yeah I mean like oh sorry that's right. <laughs> it, obviously, places like Italy as well, you know, like you said, top five leagues, you would imagine that in terms of the expansion, that one of the five of those is probably going to be where they go for next. And you've obviously got sports betting, which has come into the US, which obviously is a slow burner, but that's something massive to consider as well. So, I mean, the truth is that none of us really know, but at the same time, you know, hopefully expansion is on the horizon. Let's hope so. We've got one last question here because I think we've just done an hour and a half. Uh, full, full 90 minutes of uh, podding uh, FI Headhunter who seems to have a few questions every every pod but they seem to be good promised I'll put this one in because we didn't answer it last time what do you think the Starman payout will be uh, for a gold day in August 2025 I'll let James take the helm on this one <laughs> I mean it is literally impossible to kind of quantify because I mean you've got to think are they going to do a share split are they going to do what is it like a reverse chess but we've even even kieran talked about like we we don't even know like yeah like what 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 the current setup is going to be um you can't compare it like what it took to what the payout would be now and then you don't know i guess going forward uh will dividend increases slow down will they increase i mean it's impossible yeah. Almost so, yeah it stresses it stresses me out trying to work out a number in my head I mean, it's far away. It's like far away four years old. We're talking about something that's six years away. Yeah. I mean, yeah. I mean, it's you're talking about you're talking about estimating something. I mean, when when was FI started in September? Yeah. So we're talking about basically something which is further in the further in the distance than the life of FI so far up to this point. So it's like, I mean, you look at the way that football index has changed from its inception. When I remember, I remember I think I had Messi in the sell queue before I joined uh, joined the team, and they made me sell my portfolio. Um, not that I'm bitter about that, obviously. Yeah, exactly. No, I think I had Messi in the queue for probably like a month and a half or something. Um, and I think you know it's changed immeasurably since then, and it will again. But I think that you're going to be looking at mad, mad sums when you consider the growth of the platform up to this point. I remember trying to buy Douglas Costa on IPO. And then being left with him, um, I had him in the queue for like three months because he didn't sell. And then when they first introduced Instant Sell, they gave you like a random price. And sometimes it was fucking dog shit. Like it was like, you know, like it, it was like sometimes 20% of their price. And I remember just being like, well, 
I'm just never going to be able to sell him. So like, I just instantly sold him for like 20% of his price or something. And Pep paid for the growth of Football Index, so that's another Pretty thing to thank him for. Pretty much. <laughs> I think that's uh, that's all we've got time for, though. Um, taking enough of your guys' time. Uh, anything else that you wanted to talk about? Or you're all, you're all FI'd out? No, I think that that Star Player 2025 has rattled me and <laughs> Brain frazzled. Uh, think about that for weeks on end <laughs> uh, if you guys are commuting right now uh have a great commute doing whatever you're doing if you're not commuting uh yeah again have fun ipo hunting um sorry if we didn't get on doing whatever you're doing sorry we didn't get, get to answer all your questions uh there were obviously loads um obviously football index is a gambling platform as we uh, alluded to like 40 times during the show so only bet where you can afford to lose and stop when the fun stops uh gents where can people find out more about you uh yeah soccer index on twitter um yeah. and i'm n morris4 on twitter i had to think about that then <laughs> you can find me at fi guide and uh, cheers for listening thanks everyone